0: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the midweek show here for Brews on the Balcony. I'm Zach Zook and we're back to the old mic this week. You got one week with the great audio, but guess what? My dumbass left the cord to plug it into my computer at my parents house. So we'll be back next week, but we're back to the old snowball for the midweek show this week, but we got a loaded show. We are done with the pretenders, man. They're gone. History. We don't have to talk about the stupid ass Bengals or the Browns or the shitty NFC East anymore. Unless the Eagles won a game, then I guess we got to talk about the shitty NFC East some more. But it, it, we're talking about playoffs. We're talking about the big boys, and we're talking about who's going to win a Lombardi. And it's my favorite time of year. The week the playoffs start is my favorite football week of the year because you get the college football playoff. We got the the Natty title coming up here soon on the 13th, and then we got the NFL playoffs starting, and it is just peak football. If you're a football guy like I am, this is just the best time to frickin' be alive. It's right around the holidays, Christmas time still. And it's all coming to a head. So first we got to give a shout out to our sponsors. Firstly, we're sponsored by Cafe Telegraph who hosted the live show every Sunday morning. They were fantastic sponsors and we uh, are very thankful for everything that they did for us. Christian firing up my wings every weekend. They got the best smoked meats in the St. Louis area. A great place to hang out and watch a game. Great atmosphere. Tons of TVs. The beer is cold. The service is good. Prices are fair. Head on out to Cafe T sometime. Even if there's, even if it's not for a sporting event, just go try the diverse menu because they got a ton of different stuff. Huge portions. Great place to go hang out. You can do much worse spending an evening at than at Cafe T. Uh, also, we're sponsored by K. Roberts from REMAX Gold, one of the finest real estate agents St. Louis has to offer. K. Roberts from REMAX Gold helped TJ and Laura close on their home, and she uh, she's just about it, man. She is one of, if not the best real estate agent in the entire city, and we can say that with, with the utmost confidence because... Day or night, she's going to take care of you, and she's going to make sure you get a good deal on your home. We're also brought to you by STL Distillery. STL Distillery, located in St. Charles, famous for their Brew Vodka BRU. It is a vodka distilled from craft beer. Real interesting concept. You should also try their Cardinal Sin Vodka if you need a late a uh, gift for somebody, alcohol is always the move, and because it's this late now, they'll probably be a little pissed at you, so I think the the best move would to be to buy some STL distillery vodka, get them a little liquored up, then they'll forget that uh, you totally forgot to buy them a gift for Christmas, and it'll all work out. We're also brought to you by Family Finance Mortgage, specifically Sarah Barron. You can get a hold of her at 314-537-1282. She can help you refi on your mortgage or get started with a regular mortgage. Uh, Sarah Barron, again, that is 314-537-1282. Loaded show this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the coaching carousel. We got some awards. I'm handing out Zach Zook's 2019 regular season awards. And then we're going to break down the playoff teams, and that'll be the meat of the show. I want to talk a little bit about the strengths and weakness of every playoff team in in, in the tournament and uh, break down what they do well, where some of their weaknesses are. My goal is for you to, to, after having listened to this, to have a very, very innate sense of what these teams are when you sit down to watch them on Saturday and Sunday. So it might be a little tedious Because I'm going to get into the weeds on on all 12 of these guys, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It is a football meat sandwich, so let's get into the podcast. Okay, let's hit on some uh, coaching carousel stuff before we get into the uh, regular season awards. Um, It was kind of a surprising Black Monday, I thought. Uh, Freddie Kitchens being fired, I think, was the biggest news. Uh, you also had Pat Shermer get fired in New York, which everybody kind of thought he was a dead man walking. There has only been one hiring so far. That's Ron Rivera to the Redskins. And I kind of feel bad for him. Feel like Ron deserved a little better. But it, I mean, he, he seems pretty happy and pretty psyched to take the job there. So Bruce Allen also out of the GM there. So that's, that's definitely good news for Ron. Maybe he can, uh, start some semblance of, of, you know, adulthood in the locker room and get some functionality back in what has been one of the most dog shit franchises in uh, American professional sports since I've been alive. Uh, the interesting thing about that job is, like, you have to like Dwayne Haskins if you take that job, and it it's kind of crazy to me. I don't think Dwayne's very good, and he certainly hasn't proven a lot uh, for you to put your faith in him because... Don't get it twisted. If if Dwayne Haskins sucks for two or three years and you're playing him and Case Keenum and Colt McCoy or some sort of combination of those guys, they're gonna still going to fire you. So you have to have a lot of faith that he's going to work out. And so that's, I think, the most interesting thing about Rivera getting hired there because I think he's probably the best coach on the market right now interviewing for positions. Um, but I think, you know, for Ron... Some of these guys have been retained so far. Like, everybody thought Jason Garrett was going to get fired. Everybody thinks Doug Marone's going to get fired, and everybody thought Anthony Lynn was going to get fired. At least I certainly did. And so I'm really surprised, especially by Garrett most of all, that they haven't been fired yet. I mean, I really thought Doug Marone was a dead man walking. Dan Quinn's another guy, too, in the South, the NFC South, but still... That I thought his fate was sealed about week seven or eight. They go five and two down the stretch, and all of a sudden I think he's going to get another year. I've heard that that they're gonna they're gonna retain Marone, and actually they announced that yesterday on New Year's Day. So Doug Marone is staying in Jacksonville, which I think is a little little crazy. And they hadn't let Jerry jo- the or Jerry Jones hadn't you know they hadn't made the announcement that Garrett was gone, and he's had like all these meetings, and I think that Jerry Jones is basically petitioning to keep him and it is a complete dumpster fire. The Cowboys fans are up in arms, and they should be. Uh, the Clapper probably should have been gone years ago, but, man, Jerry loves him like a son, and that is one thing about Jerry that I think is really commendable, but also maybe a fault of his. He is loyal to a fault with his players and with his coaches, and he loves Jason Garrett and thinks that the world of him, and so he's really fighting for him to stay as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He legitimately believes that that team can win a Super Bowl as it's currently constructed. And you know, I really thought that they could too. I didn't think Jason Garrett was a good coach, but I thought that they could get around it because they have Chris Richard, they have Kellen Moore, they have uh oh, who the hell's the old guy? His name escaped me. Uh, I want to say Martindale, but that's Wink Martindale in in Baltimore. Uh. Whatever. Anyways, you guys know what I'm talking about. The old dude. He's technically the the OC, but Kellen Moore is kind of calling the plays and taking over now. But I, I think that they have enough there to where I, I I don't know. I think that it's kind of a clown move to not fire him. They probably should have fired him last year, but to not make the playoffs this year with the roster that they had and they were relatively healthy all year, I think that is such an indictment on coaching. And I, I think it's just pretty clear at this point that Jason Garrett's is not a very good head coach. And so that, I think, has been the wildest development of the coaching carousel. Mike McCarthy's interviewing all around. Feels like he's going to get hired somewhere. I think that the Browns would be a good fit for him. You know, I've, I'm seeing he's doing the press junket and kind of getting his name back out there, and he's taking the position. It it seems like he's really learned a lot. He's talking about how much he's learned about analytics and how he's really learned a lot from the mistakes and the follies he had in Green Bay, and I think that those are all the right things to say, and it sounds like, you know, getting fired maybe was the best thing that ever happened to him, and uh, sometimes you just do need to change, you know? Uh, People don't usually stay at the same job, especially in the NFL, for all this time, you know, and he was there for a really long time, won a Super Bowl, had a lot of success, but, you know, I I think that a change of scenery was needed for both parties there, and the year off, the time to reflect, he's been in the lab all fall with, you know, the coaching staff that he plans to bring to whatever franchise that hires him, and, you know, I I really hope, I really think he's gonna be successful. Uh, Now, if he goes to the Browns, you know, asterisks, because, I mean, when's the last time they had been successful? Excuse me. But uh you know I, it feels like he's he's learned a lot and it feels like he has definitely corrected some of the some of the things that he maybe didn't do so well towards the end of his Packers tenure. Uh, Anthony Lynn getting kept was a little bit weird. I felt like the Chargers were gonna fire him and try and pursue Ron Rivera. Turns out that Lynn's gonna be the guy. I don't know how you move into that new stadium next year, that you know billion dollar stadium that Cronie's building that, uh, dean spanos is kind of leeching right off of him for i don't know how you go in there with probably no philip rivers and anthony lynn is your head coach i think you gotta you gotta be do something a little bit more exciting than that they either got to draft a quarterback sign somebody exciting the outlook for the chargers in 2020 does not look great and therefore i feel like you're just wasting your time because they're probably gonna have another bad year next year and then they're probably gonna shit can him next year so like What's the point of this? You might as well get him out now and get a new guy in. You know, you're moving your team into this new stadium. Like, let's get everybody on the same page from day one and try and build something here. So I was I was pretty shocked that he, uh, he kept his job. But uh, I want to hand out some awards now. And I think that some of these will be probably pretty obvious to you guys. And then some of them won't be. Uh, the first one, it's obviously Lamar Jackson. And Lamar is is incredible. He's going to win the MVP this year, and he should. Uh, he has really kind of redefined the league this year, broke Michael Vick's uh, rushing record, which is just incredible. I mean, the kind of season he's having, it, I just waited for them, somebody to stop them week after week after week after week, and just nobody did. Nobody could really figure it out. And... After the Chiefs game, they lost to the Chiefs, and they lost to the Browns early on, and then they they just didn't lose again. I mean, once they figured it out, they hit the ground running, and they did not look back. They're the best team in football, and it's because of him, and I think that a big reason why they're the number one overall seed in the AFC and have a legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl this year is, in addition to his rushing, he has become a much better thrower of the football than he was last season. He's still not great. But he took strides that I personally didn't believe he could take. I didn't think that he would become even as good a passer as he is this year. And I still have a lot of questions, and that's one thing we'll get into when we talk about the Ravens later on, about whether or not he can make these throws in the playoffs. But make no mistake about it, like he's dropping the ball downfield to the, these tight ends, he's hitting Marquise Brown in stride, way down the field, Miles Boykin too. He's just done a really nice job this year. He's the MVP of the league, and it's so well deserved. He's a great guy. I love the T-shirt that says "Nobody Cares, Work Harder." That was like that. That I stand after after he wore that to the press conference. I just I think he's such a classy guy. Like, and just because it it goes back to the Josh Allen thing too. Like, just because I don't like somebody as a football prospect doesn't mean I want them. I root for them to fail. Now, if I think that you're a bad NFL prospect, and it turns out you're kind of a douchebag, like it kind of turns out Baker Mayfield is, then I don't really feel that bad when I'm proven right, you know? Like, <laughs> not that it feels good, but like, I'm not really that sorry when that happens. But like, when it's the guys like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, who are legitimately really good humans, like, I, I do, like, I root for them to have success. I root to be wrong about that stuff, you know? So, the the fact that Lamar has just totally taken the reins and taken the league by storm this year, I think is awesome. Now, is it sustainable? No. I mean, have you if you've watched the Ravens even three or four times this year, you see the hits that dude's taking, wait for a couple years of that to pile up. Ask Cam Newton how that went, and Cam Newton's like way larger of a human than Lamar Jackson is, but a well-deserved MVP, Lamar Jackson killed it in 2019, and I'm really interested to see how he does in the playoffs, because I don't think he's going away, he's just such a leader, and you can tell that his teammates really, truly love him, and I I heard from an executive that, I mean, obviously through a third party, I don't have the juice to talk to any football executives, unfortunately, but, uh, I heard through a third party that an executive said that he now believes that chemistry is the most important thing to winning, and if you believe that, then Lamar Jackson is like exhibit A, because that team and that offensive line loves him so much and plays so hard for him, and it's so obvious and evident every time they take the field. My Offensive Player of the Year is not Christian McCaffrey. It's Michael Thomas. And I don't know how you could really... I mean, Christian McCaffrey's freaking phenomenal, but I don't know how you could really vote against Michael Thomas. He's been unbelievable. He has 149 catches in the regular season for 1,700 yards. He also has nine touchdowns. He is averaging 11 yards per reception. He is unbelievable broke the record for receptions in a season before I think even their week 17 game. And you know it pains me cuz he's an Ohio State guy. And actually I didn't think he was going to be that good coming out. I got to be honest. I really didn't think he would be. I didn't see this Michael Thomas at Ohio State. And I think a lot of it, it a lot of it goes back to where you're drafted. And I think that it was what a what a benefit to his career that he got drafted to Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Like, thank God he slipped them, because do you think we would be talking about Michael Thomas as a top five, top three, maybe even, wide receiver in football right now if he gets drafted to, say, the Bengals or the Giants or the Redskins? No way. Or, you know, like the Jags, like a random team out west, the Cardinals? There's not a shot in hell. Not a snowball's chance in hell. And so, what a benefit for him to... Get to see how pros do it at the highest level and to understand and have that knowledge from day one in your professional career to mold yourself into the best that you can be. Because this season was the best that Michael Thomas could be and it was incredible. He has more yards. The next closest to him in yards I think is like 1,300 yards. And Michael Thomas has 1700 It's It's ridiculous how much farther he is uh, statistically this year ahead of everybody else. My Defensive Player of the Year, and this is probably going to be the most controversial one, a couple of weeks ago I would have had Stephon Gilmore as my Defensive Player of the Year, and I think he might win it in real life, but my Defensive Player of the Year is Chandler Jones. I think that if Ch- I think if Chandler Jones played for the Patriots and Gilmore played for the Cardinals, that Chandler Jones would be getting all the hype for DPOI instead of Stephon Gilmore. Like, if the teams were flipped, it's just the simple fact that Arizona sucks and that the Patriots had the number one ranked defense in the NFL this year, and a big part of it is because he's the best player on the best defense in the NFL. So... It's, I think, easy to go there, but down the stretch, too, it feels like he hasn't been as dominant the second half of the season. Even Patriots fans wouldn't argue that. The defense as a whole hasn't been as dominant the second half of the season. They just got beaten by the Miami Dolphins at home. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not trying to be a prisoner of the moment, but that that helped make my decision a little easier, I guess, giving it to Chandler Jones, because I was kind of teetering that way anyways over the last month. Because I just had it in my head, like, yeah, he's the defensive player of the year. There's really no question. But when you really start looking at the numbers and just how good of a year Chandler Jones had, he played 16 games, he had 8 forced fumbles, he had 43 solo tackles, and he had 19 sacks. 19 sacks. That's insane. Just another ho-hum, almost 20-sack year for Chandler Jones. He's the best pass rusher in football. He's better than Khalil Mack. He's better than Von Miller. Now, I'm not talking necessarily as a complete player because I think Khalil Mack plays the run better. So, like, I, I obviously, I would take Khalil Mack over Chandler Jones, but as just a pure pass rusher, Chandler Jones is the best pass rusher in football, better than Nick Bosa. He has done it consistently throughout his career, and I know he's been kind of a slappy at times, too. He's averaged, I think, only nine games played per season over the course of his career, and he's only played in 119 games in his his entire career, and he's bounced around because of his issues off the field, but when he's on, and when he's on the field, and I got to see him play this fall when I went out to uh, Phoenix and watched the Lions take on the Cardinals for TJ Hawkinson's first game as a pro, it's so crazy watching him go up against, and like, watching him go up against Taylor Decker was, it honestly, like, somebody should have called the cops, because it was a murder. It, it, he just, he just abuses tackles domestically just every fall and so I know Stephon Gilmore is dominant and it's hard for me to you know not get not give it to him right because he had he has had an absolutely historic season as well but I think just when you take away the team bias I think I think Chandler Jones has got to be the guy I mean, he's just so criminally underrated. 19 sacks, led the league again. He plays a more important position, I think. The edge rusher is the most important position on the defensive side of the ball. I just don't know how you, how you, can, you cannot give it to Chandler Jones. And I'm, I'm a, I was a corner in college. Like, I want to give it to the corner better than anybody. But I, I honestly, and here's a hot take. I don't even know if you can legitimately say Stephon Gilmore is the best corner in football. Did you know Tre'Davious White for the Buffalo Bills, another team that doesn't really get a lot of credit, has had 192, almost 200 targets thrown his way to guys he's covering. Guess how many touchdowns he allowed? Zero. Zero. Shadowing the best corner. Shadow- shadowing the best wide receiver on the opponent's team. He gave up literally zero touchdowns. He's the only one that can say that. So I guess that makes it a little harder for me too. I just feel like Chandler Jones was so much better than his contemporaries this season that it's just hard not to give it to him. My comeback player of the year is Ryan Tannehill, and I think that's a pretty obvious choice. Guy has come back and completely rejuvenated, rejuvenated the Tennessee Titans. They were completely dead in the water with Marcus Mariota, who's a backup quarterback. I think he might be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears this season, but nonetheless, he, uh, he his days in Tennessee are freaking over, and Ryan Tannehill has just been absolutely outstanding. It feels like every Sunday I'm watching that dude run over linebackers and safeties he wants to win so bad and he's playing at such a high level right now that he has really galvanized that team they have a top 10 defense and when you add him to the mix they've just been really tough to stop my offensive rookie of the year was kind of tough because I was between Kyler Murray and Josh Jacobs and although Jacobs didn't finish the season I just have to give it to him Josh Jacobs was outstanding, he was the best player, not only was he the best player on the offense, he's probably the best player on the Raiders, and Kyler Murray for one can't say that, he's probably their, Murray is probably their best player on offense, I mean, Larry Fitz would probably like to have a word, Christian Kirk maybe even too, but uh Jacobs was just, I think, a tier above him a bit this year because he was the heartbeat of the offense. When they couldn't get him going... And when he left this season, they went out with a whimper, man. They just couldn't get anything done offensively. I remember specifically the game they played against the Packers. They just didn't have a snowball's chance in hell at stopping Josh Jacobs. He is such a beast between the tackles. He has such great vision, such great footwork, such great balance. And he's so physical for not being really that big of a guy. He was just exceptional this season. What a great pick by John Gruden and Mike Mayock for as much shit as that franchise gets. What a great pick. And I mean, I think everybody kind of knew, man, Josh Jacobs at 24 to the Raiders. That's the pick. And they had the target acquired. They didn't let anybody trade in front of them. And they they went and got their guy. And, And he's an elite back and should be for the next decade. My defensive rookie of the year, again, another Ohio State guy. It pains me to say it. But uh, I gotta give it to my man, my man Nick Bosa. I think I still, th- I thought Josh Allen was the best player in that draft, and I actually, uh, maybe I don't stand by that. I think it's pretty tough to argue Nick Bosa as just such a complete physical freak and badass at this point. But Josh Allen wasn't wasn't too too far behind him. He had the best pass rushing grade in pro football focus history last year. So he was he had a better pass rushing grade coming out than did Nick Bosa, and had an exceptional year himself. It's, again, Jaguar stunk, and he plays in Jacksonville. Nick Bosa's playing for the number one seed. So, I I, I ultimately, you gotta give it up to him, though. I mean, he's just had such a good year. He's been so exceptional, and he has been the best player on that defense, bar none. Uh, man, maybe Fred Warner's better, but he 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 has been unbelievable this year. He, I mean, they were they ask him to do such a lot too. He's in there on every down. He is asked to rush the passer. He's asked to stop the run. He's asked to chase down guys from the backside. He is a complete player as a rookie, and the 49ers have to love the production they've gotten out of him here in year one. Alrighty, let's freaking do it. It is the playoffs in the NFL, and we are going to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of these teams from top to bottom. We're going to start with the bottom seed in the AFC and work to the top and do the same thing for the NFC. I'm not going to give any picks. We're going to give picks for the Saturday game on a video that will release on social, and then we will have the Sunday live show just as we normally would. It'll just be from the... VOTB studio instead of Cafe Telegraph so we'll start with the Tennessee Titans they're the number six seed they got to go take on the New England Patriots after their follies in Foxborough against the Miami Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans are a really interesting team and I feel like finally I got a pretty good feel for them because I mean they're typically one of those teams that's just so tough to figure out and I think a big part of the reason for that is was just Marcus Mariota and his inconsistencies because it felt like when he was on and had a good day, as good a day as he can have, they're a pretty damn good football team. And when he was off, they could lose to to anybody. And I think that was pretty much true. And once they were able to stabilize that position is where they really turned a corner. And they started winning some of those games, too, that they had lost in the past. And I'm talking about that win over the Colts uh, in the second half of the season. That win over the Texans in Week 17. I know the Texans were resting players, but don't forget that the Titans had a home, home game Week 17, winning your in, against the Colts. And they couldn't have looked more flat they got completely blown out by Indy at home in their own building in prime time it couldn't have been a more embarrassing effort from them so for them to get that done get a, get division wins and to lock up a playoff spot I think is really important for the confidence of this football team I also think Mike Vrabel is a hell of a coach and the Belichick disciples kind of have a rep but he's one guy man that I think he's just a really damn good coach I think he, along with Bill O'Brien and uh, some of these other guys, were really putting to bed that narrative. And Mike is probably the best of them all. I think he's actually better than Billy O. I don't have. I kind of have really mixed feelings about Billy O. And we'll get to them in a second. But I think Rabel really has a hold of this team. They're a top ten defense again this year. They were top ten last year. They were top ten again this year. They have. Just really solid players. Like, kind of the opposite of the Texans. Like, we talk about how top-heavy the Texans are. Star power everywhere, but then, like, the drop-off is significant. Like, the Titans don't really have any stars, but they just have solid guys all over the place. Now, Derrick Henry, I guess you could say, has become a breakout star this year. That's another thing. They have a top-ten defense, and they have the rushing champion. Derrick Henry locked up the rushing crown for 2019 uh, against the Texans in the final week of the season, so... They boast the NFL's best rusher, they boast a top ten defense, and they boast just solid players all over the place. You have Corey Davis who like has been a disappointment for them, who's still a really, really good player. He's just totally been lost in the shadow of AJ Brown, the rookie at Ole Miss. And then you have and I don't De- Delaney Walker got hurt, but you have Janu Smith who's come on, and I think do they have Luke Stocker still? But uh, the line play is really good. They have very good alignment on both sides of the ball, both offensive and defensive. Their secondary is incredible. Logan Ryan. Kevin Byard, Adoree Jackson, the corner out of USC, young guys playing a much better football as he's kind of grown and developed. You have Harold Landry coming off the edge out of Boston College. You have Rashad Evans, uh, Rashawn Evans, by the way. I apologize for that. Rashawn, not Rashad. Rashawn Evans out of Alabama, who has become a stud of a linebacker. Not many people know who he is, but he just go watch him play. Watch the Titans play a couple games just from start to finish, and you'll notice he pops. They have Jarrell Casey. They have some studs on both sides of the ball. And now that they've stabilized the quarterback position, Ryan Tannehill's is playing great. They're a really tough team to beat. And again, not going to give give uh, picks until Saturday, but I do think they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs, even on the road, because they have the two biggest things that play in January and that play on the road are... Defense and rushing. And they can do both really well. And now they have a quarterback that can beat you. I'm telling you, there's really not many things the Titans do poorly. Now, here's the other here's the flip side of it. We said how they don't have any stars, right? There's really nothing that they're the best at. I mean that they have Derrick Henry, again, who is the rushing champion. So I guess I suppose they're the best at that, but they're not the number one rushing team. So uh and they don't have the best rushing offense. It's just that they have this Derrick Henry guy that people just straight up don't want to tackle anymore because they're banged up and he's gigantic. So I guess if they had to hang their hat on one thing, it's that. But I think that, in in an essence, is their weakness. The fact that, you know, they don't really have just a big hole on the roster anywhere, but the fact that they really aren't truly elite at anything, I think lends to you being a solid but not great football team. And you're going to have to be really, really good to go into Foxborough and get a win. We move on to the five seed, the Bengals. They've known their fate for a while. Sean McDermott, I think, is a really good head coach. And you've seen when he left Carolina, how quickly things deteriorated there. They, they Things were never really the same after Sean McDermott left. The defense never really recovered. And he has just gone on to kick total ass in Buffalo. Now... Here's what I what I think holds them back, and I ultimately think it's the quarterback. And as much as I love Josh Allen, it feels like in these big games, save for the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, which, as it turns out, Cowboys not very good, right? But it feels like in a lot of these big games, he's what holds them back. He misses guys on 3rd and 5 that are open, or he'll throw a bad pick, or he'll fumble it, or, you, you know, it, it just feels like he's kind of still in the learning and maturation process. and Again, I think he's a great kid. He's such a fierce competitor, and he really is a great athlete. I think that was one of the most underrated things about him coming out as to what he is now. He is a dual-threat quarterback, legitimately, and he's huge. When he gets going downhill, he's falling forward. I don't care who you have coming up to hit him. The guy's a tank. He's like a white Cam Newton. He really is. Go check his rushing stats. Go check his rushing touchdowns. He accounts for a lot of production, both through the air and on the ground. My issue with him, and ultimately with the Bengals, and this is how, ultimately how far can they go, is going to come down to the consistency of his play. He can't go out there and have a dud against the Houston Texans. He just can't. You can't do it in the playoffs. You're gonna be. A, you're gonna have to sit there and throw darts. And I say that phrase a lot, but he's going to have to sit in the pocket and pick a defense apart. And to this point in his career, especially when he's faced the good teams like the Patriots, he really kind of has shrunk in those moments. And so I'm really rooting for him to kind of to kind of do better at that. Because he, here's another thing too: he what he's shown a better ability to do this year as he's kind of grown when the play breaks down or he's on the run or he's kind of, he feels like he's more in the flow, you see him actually get more accurate because he has such great arm talent. You can see him evade a rusher, move right, fall back 10 yards off his back foot and just sling an absolute dime 55 d- yards down the field to little John Brown, who's their number one receiver. Like, you see him do that and you're like, oh, well, no shit they took him seven overall in the draft. Because you know, he, he does have that Carson Wentz-like ability where he can make throws that few other people on planet Earth can make. Because there are several times when I watch him where he'll make a throw and I'm like, wow, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Or if I have, like, like it, I mean, your jaw kind of hits the floor. His issue is he misses the layups still. And that's kind of, I think, You know, you can always get more accurate as a quarterback. I think Lamar Jackson taking the strides from 18 to 19 is a testament of that. And he's a great kid, has the mindset, the work ethic. But uh, that's, I think, what's holding him back right now. And I think that's the weakness of the Bills. Because otherwise, they're, again, a really good football team. I think they're a little weak on the edge offensively. They have John Brown and Cole Beasley. That's really about it. Their tight ends are kind of meh. The Singletary kid from FAU is actually really good. But it's not like he's all-world. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley in his prime, some of those guys. I mean, he's a really solid back, but uh, you combine him with Frank Gore and they have a legitimate rushing attack. Like the Titans, too, they have put an emphasis on building their team inside out. They have solid line play on both sides of the ball, and they place an emphasis on defense. Again, it's a top-ten defense. Tredavious White... Uh, We went over this in the first segment. You could make the argument that he's the best corner in football. You could make the argument. Now, I still think Stephon Gilmore had the best 2019, but I could sit here and legitimately make an argument and make enough points to where I could at least get you thinking about Trey White. Uh, He's been a stud ever since they drafted him out of LSU. He's slowly gotten better and better and better. With every snap, every rep, it, it it feels. And then in the in the in the in the secondary, they have Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, and they they got some of these younger draft picks playing well. Uh, the Edmonds kid that they took, uh, Terrell Edmonds, I believe, the middle linebacker. And they got Jerry Hughes coming off the edge, Lorenzo Alexander, that Matt Milano guy, kind of an overachiever, but like, he's a pretty damn good player too. I'd put him on the same level as kind of like a Blake Martinez type. Maybe not the the biggest or best athlete, but his effort and his give a shit level is so high. So that's kind of my assessment of the Bills. I ultimately think that their ceiling's kind of capped by where Josh Allen's at right now. And maybe partially personnel-wise offensively, I don't think they're quite there yet. But the defense can hang. Again, they play defense and they run the football. So they're going to be a tough out if Josh Allen takes care of the ball. And it's a win at all costs in January, man. So you can bet your ass that Josh Allen will be running the football uh, come Saturday. So that takes us to the four seed, the, the Texans. And this is a team I just I have no read on them. I, I'm just going to be honest. They're, they're the toughest team to judge. Because on any given Sunday, it feels like they could play the best football of their lives. They gave us that awesome game against the Saints, like the first Monday of Monday Night Football. They just absolutely housed the Patriots in prime time, and then they'll come out and they'll lay like a stinker to the Jags, uh, or they'll go you know, get beat by the Chargers. It's like they're one of the weirdest teams in the NFL. I think it partially speaks to Billy O, who I don't want to say I'm out on him, but like I think the jury's out on him. Like, your division has sucked complete ass every year, and I understand that you've been winning that division, but you've been the four-seed, I think, every single time. Like, y- you're playing weaker competition on average, probably, than the rest of the league. Now, the Patriots probably play the weakest competition than anybody does in the AFC East, but that's kind of changed this year with the Bills being as competitive as they are. So I just I just don't know about Billy O, man, because they have all the pe- – they have – they have some really, really good players, and I know he just traded the farm to get Laramie Tunsil, and they got Kenny Stills, but Will Fuller is going to be out again, I think, and, and so like they have these star players all over the place, like J.J. Watt, they used to have Clowney, and then offensively it's DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson now, but they have some injuries, they've been beat up. I, I don't know, I just think that ultimately they have a lot of holes on their roster still, especially defensively. I don't think their secondary is that good. Uh, Their linebacking core is pretty good with Whitney Merciless, but with J.J. Watt being out, Clowney being gone, I don't think they're going to be able to get a lot of pressure on Josh Allen, and I think that there's certainly holes. I think Deshaun Watson basically is going to have to play a really good game to beat them. Now, can Deshaun Watson play a really good game? Yeah, in fact, I'd probably lean towards him playing a pretty good game. Deshaun Watson lives for these moments. That's when he's at his best. That's why I like him so much. He and De- DeAndre Hopkins are going to have it rolling probably come come Saturday. But the issue for me again, and that's the strength of the team, and that's why it's so weird to get a read on them, the strength of the team is their superstars and their playmakers. The weakness of the team is their depth. I mean, that is so obvious. And and even with the addition of Laramie Tunsell, they have a tough time keeping Deshaun upright at times. And Deshaun holds the ball. He's got a little Russell Wilson to him. But, yeah, they, they still, I mean, he's getting just knocked on his ass an awful lot. And so, it's really going to be an interesting game. I'll say this, and I haven't made any of my picks yet, but that Bills-Texans uh, game I think is going to be the toughest one to pick for me because it feels like any outcome in that game would not shock me. If the Texans just kicked their ass and Deshaun Watson lights it up for like four touchdowns and 400 yards, wouldn't be that shocked if you were to tell me that they come out and lay an absolute egg and the Bills kind of beat them, like, 17-7, to 7, wouldn't be shocked. You know, it's, it really is kind of a wide range of outcomes in that game. Uh, the number three seed is our New England Patriots. So... What's interesting about New England is they have kind of screwed the pooch here down the stretch, and they, I think, are really limited for the first time in a long time, and they, they're they good at really disguising their limitations, and even when they have limitations, they're good at working around them. But this year, it just straight up can't be argued. They just have zero ability to push the ball downfield, and people are catching on to it, and... They just are They don't have to. Straight up, don't have to respect the deep ball anymore. And so you're getting all these guys at the line of scrimmage. You're getting all these guys defending the short to intermediate passing game, and and putting extra bodies to defend in the run game. And Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady are so damn good that they'll still beat you anyways. Sometimes, but Brady is forty two, and they have no wide receivers. Their line for the first time in a long time. It, it's really not very good. I mean. I really like the Isaiah Wynn kid out of Georgia. But outside of that, I mean, Brady's getting knocked on his ass a lot the second half of this season. And so that's, I think, the weakness of the team. The defense, obviously, has come down to earth. I mean, we knew it wasn't sustainable. They were playing the best defense, like, ever, first eight games. I mean, better than the 2000 Ravens, better than the 85 Bears. So, obviously, you had to expect a little regression to the mean, especially as they faced tougher competition. However... I still, like, I I don't get worried about their defense because it's still so solid and it's led by Bill Belichick. Like, that's got to be one of the most, like, phone it in things ever. Like, set it in, forget it. Yeah, the Patriots are going to play good defense at home in the playoffs at Foxborough. But Fitzmagic just kind of lit them up. Like, that's that's a bit of a red flag. So, I'm a little worried about the Pats. Like, I'm a little worried about the Pats and their dynasty. I'm not going to lie. And that's another one where, like, I think on paper the Titans are the better football team right now. And that sounds a little wild to say, but when they're a more complete football team than New England, Patriots fans would tell you that. But it's like, are you going to bet on what you've seen this year, and more importantly, what you've seen over the last eight weeks? Are you going to bet on what you've seen since 2000? Like, it feels like the the Patriots championship blood's going to come out, and they'll just you know roll over the Titans, beat them by like 20 or something, and we're going to be like, oh yeah, we feel all really retarded now for uh, for. betting against them right like we all feel really stupid for that now because I feel like there's been moments in history every time their backs against the wall or you think that the dynasty might be over is when they kind of turn right around and shove it right back in your face but will will they have the ability to do that because they really screwed their chances at a Super Bowl this year I don't think there's any way the Pats get out of the AFC because first of all you got to beat the Titans which is no easy task then you would have to play what, the Chiefs at Arrowhead? And we know how badly the Chiefs want to beat the Patriots, especially in the postseason. And then you would likely have to face the Ravens in the AFC Championship game. And I just feel like there's no way they string three of those victories together. And I would really actually be interested to see Bill Belichick and what he would do facing Lamar this go-around. But, because uh, he's just been so famous at shutting, you know, those types of special offenses down. But I just think that, the, t- the task is the really tall, and I think that they're so limited on offense that it impacts the defense, and I think that's really ultimately the weakness. Obviously, the strength of the team is the defense. The weakness is the offense. I mean, that's kind of just very bland and simple, but it's true. They haven't been able to consistently run the football, and they can't push the ball downfield. Outside of Julian Edelman, they, ha- they have nobody to throw the ball to. Uh, Nikhil Harry's kind of coming on. He's a really good player. He's going to be a really good player, but he's not really what they need right now. And as he's developing, it's kinda similar to the Josh Allen thing. Like, what can you really expect for him from him in the playoffs in crunch time, you know? So I for the first this is the worst I've felt about a Pats team in January in just a long, long time. The Chiefs, they're my pick to win the Super Bowl, and I've never felt better about their chances than I do right about now they sneak into the two seed they are playing really good football Chiefs defense the last five weeks has been one of the best in the league I mean I think you gotta kind of tip your hat off to uh Spagnola a little bit uh he's done a really nice job with that defense he's got them playing well How good is Tyran Matthew? I mean, he's such a beast. And offensively, you got Patty getting healthier by the week. Travis Kelsey, I think, is third in the NFL in receiving yardage as a tight end. I mean, that's exceptional. You're getting Tyreek Hill at full full strength. You got the running game still. The running game has been, I think, the one, like, Question mark offensively, because there's always typically been one guy in the Andy Reid offense that runs the ball, and they haven't really found that guy this year. It's been a combination of Darryl Williams, of uh, Shady McCoy, of Damian Williams, and then even uh, that Darwin Thompson guy at times. But I'll tell you what, the Michael Hardman guy is a freaking player. He is like Tyreek Hill Jr., and you combine him with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, just sheer badassery, tough to count the chiefs out man i really do think that they're going to represent the afc and that brings us to the number 1 seed the the, the baltimore ravens and i got to tell you of the number ones between the the ravens and the Raider, uh, ravens and the 49ers uh, excuse me i think one of those teams is going to lose uh be one and done because they're both such young teams with uh, so many players that have really never been there or done it before so i'm not saying that's going to be the ravens uh, but I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I do feel like one of these teams, like let's say they end up playing the Titans or the Bills in that first game. The Bills have a really good defense that can keep them in the ball game. And if Josh Allen makes a couple plays, who knows? And then all of a sudden, you're sitting at home. I mean, it really is. Like, it is so fast. And I don't know the health of Mark Ingram, but they really kind of started—they finally started to get banged up towards the end of the year. Ultimately, I think you're going to see the Ravens in the AFC Championship. I think I lean more towards the the 49ers losing their first home playoff game than the Ravens because I just think the Ravens are a better football team than the Niners. Um, And— I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think Lamar Jackson is just so truly special this year. They, this team feels a lot like the 15 and one Panthers to me that uh, lost in the Super Bowl to the Broncos. like I don't think they're ever gonna be this good again with Lamar. like and, and how could they right? Like it's been a historic year, but just like the 15 and one Cam-led Panthers, like you just gotta recognize special when you see it. And appreciate it. Because this just feels like it's just one of those magical years. Everything has gone right for them. And so, can they get it done and take advantage of the opportunity they have before them? They obviously are, are, are pretty solid on offense. I mean, would you like to have maybe more of a true number one wide receiver? I guess. Sure. But they still got playmakers all over the place. Their offense, passing-wise, is actually really simple. And I think that's what helps Lamar. When they do pass it, I mean when I studied this team in all routes for Pro Football Focus, it's like, it's a lot of just like go routes. Like, there's not a lot of mystery to what they're doing in the passing game. They make it very easy for Lamar. He's not having to really read defenses. It's a lot of run, run pass option, and they open things up so much with the run that they only give him a couple things to think about, and that makes his life really easy. And he can get the ball out of his hands quickly, and he can take shots and feel comfortable back there. That's, I think, what defenses are going to have to stop. But to do that, you got to get them into second and third and long, and just straight up, nobody's been able to do it this year. I think their defense has question marks at times, but they, like the Chiefs, have played much better defense uh, down the stretch. Second half of the year, they've been much better. So uh I don't even think you could say that's a weakness anymore. But if you could get a team that could maybe exploit some of that offensively if you could put up you know, 24 28 points I think you got a shot against the Ravens if you have a good defense like a team like the Packers would have no shot to beat them because their defense should, it while it's good it's not on the level of the Bills or the Titans or you know some of these other defenses that have been playing so well particularly in the AFC I'd put the Patriots obviously in that category probably the best of the three but uh That's why I think it's going to be tough for the Ravens, because they're going to face really good defenses, and guys are going to scheme them up. So it'll be really interesting to see. Okay, let's move to the NFC. Try to be a little quicker in the NFC uh, and get you guys out of here. The sixth seed is the Minnesota Vikings. And to be honest with you, uh, it's, I think, the biggest spread of the playoff games. How are they going to go into the Superdome and win? Uh, Now, they did win the last playoff game against them. And they have, you know, I you could argue, and I wouldn't argue they have a better roster, but obviously Kirk Cousins, even as bad as he's been, like historically in big games, he's better than Case Keenum. So uh, it's the same players really playing uh, in that game. And even though the Saints ended up losing, and it was called the Minnesota Miracle, people forget that the Vikings were pretty much kicking their ass for the first three quarters. So the Vikings-Dome team traveling to the Saints... Uh, in the Superdome, obviously it's one of the best home field advantages in sports, but the Vikings, I think, would be the most immune to that of anybody, having played you know eight games in a loud-ass dome themselves up at U.S. Bank Stadium. Ultimately, though, I just think Kirk is going to crumble, uh, and I think that the Saints' roster is way better than Minnesota's, and Minnesota has a really good roster. It's just that's how good the Saints are. There's just not a lot wrong with the Saints right now. How are they going to stop Michael Thomas? Because Xavier Rhodes is a complete shell of himself. Trey Waynes is a number two corner, not a number one. And Mike Hughes is a young guy that's still learning, and we have no idea what his ceiling is. You have Anthony Harris, who makes plays and hits a lot in the run game, but is he really a cover guy? Harrison Smith's the best guy uh, in the secondary, and he... Uh, along with... It's like they have one really stud player at each level of defense. They got Harrison Smith in the secondary, Eric Kendricks at the linebacker position, and Daniil Hunter on the line. Like, like those guys are certified beasts, man. They are so good. And that's why the Vikings' defense is so good. And that's why I do give them a shot in this game. I think the spread is, like, plus 6 right now, or plus 8 or something like that. I think... That it, it, A lot of that has to do with Kirk Cousins, and a lot of it has to do with how he played in in that Packers game on Monday night, because he was terrible. It's like every single time you put him in front of a good opponent, the guy just shatters mentally, and I think a lot of it has to do with the Dowling Cook injury because I think that that's when Kirk's good. You have to he's a limited quarterback. You have to put you have to put him in a position to succeed. So he has to have a good rushing attack, which he had had with Dalvin, and when Dalvin went out, everything changed, which he was he was able to get such easy completions when when Dalvin was running all over people because it forced defenses into bad spots to where then Kirk's rolling out Off-play action, he's got all day to throw. Oh, there's Thielen streaking down the field wide open. Oh, there's Diggs on a deep over. Nobody within 10 yards of him. Oh, there's Kyle Rudolph on the corner route. He's going to make another one-handed catch in the end zone uh, off a ball that probably is an overthrow and bail my ass out again. So I think that's obviously the problem for the Minnesota Vikings, and it's obviously the health of their backs too. Alexander Madison, his backup, who is really good and has has a similar style, to Dalvin, is also banged up. And I think Dalvin's going to play in the Saints game, but there's he's not going to be 100%. I think that much is pretty clear. So, ultimately, with the Saints rolling, could not be rolling any harder into this game, with home field, with the Hall of Fame quarterback, with the Offensive Player of the Year, in my opinion, in Michael Thomas, with their defense, which is still really freaking good. I mean, they kind of go on and off at times, but they have a lot of players, too. I mean, like, Marshawn Lattimore... Marcus Williams, Von Bell, in, in the in the front line they got Cameron Jordan. Marcus Davenport has played a lot better this year. In, in the linebacking core too, they have Thomas Davis who's played pretty well. For they got him from the Panthers. Like they are so good in so many areas. I think it's the most complete team in the NFC. Uh, and I guess we kind of just jumped right from the Vikings into the Saints. But the ultimately the. Uh, the Vikings' deficiencies offensively, I think, is going to be their downfall. Obviously, the strength of their team still lies in their defense and their run game. Always has been that way under Zimmer. And uh, the strength with the Saints is is in their offense that just cannot be stopped. I mean, Alvin Kamara hasn't even really had a good year. And he's starting to get right. Like, how scary is that team? And so, I just, I don't know. I, I, I respect Minnesota. and I think they have a really good defense. And I think because of that, I do give them a shot in this game. But I think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. I just don't see a lot of holes in that team. I think the strength of their of the Saints team is obviously the passing game with Drew Brees, who's playing at the best he's ever played uh, this year. And the weakness, I guess, could be sometimes that defense can go away and, and give up some points. So... If you, can, you, you, if you can get them reeling and get them on the ropes, maybe you score a touchdown or two early and get the Saints playing from behind, I think that's your best chance to beat them. Uh, let's move to the five seed. We're going to skip the Saints since I just discussed them. Uh, kind of jump around a little bit. My bad on that, guys. The five seed is going to be, why am I having a brain fart, the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks come within a yard of winning the division. They kind of get screwed on that pass interference, if you ask me. But at the end of the day, they had chances to win that game and didn't. And let's be real San Francisco earned that win. They outplayed them for the first, you know, three and a half quarters of that game. But uh, I think Seattle is probably one of the least talented teams in the playoffs. But they're winning off coaching and culture. And. Russell Wilson is really special. I mean, I we kind of I feel bad cuz I feel like I kind of crushed him a little bit earlier this year. I just thought it was ridiculous. Like who thinks he's underrated? Nobody. Like if anything, like he's actually kind of frustrating to watch because he will make these unbelievable plays that only Russell can make, and then it's like even in that game, he like threw up like three or four different passes on that final drive that should have been picked and it wasn't. It's just, I just feel like nobody ever covers that side of it. And it, again, I don't know. It just bothers me. But but Russell is is the heartbeat of that team. He is the number one strength of that team. If it's not for Russell, they're not sniffing anywhere close to the playoffs. So Russell makes that team go. And he really had to put the team on his back in, the, in that uh, game uh, on, on Sunday night. And he's going to have to do it again in the playoffs because... Their running back situation is terrible. Chris Carson, gone. Rashad Penny, ACL. CJ Procise, gone. It is Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch. And actually, Travis Homer looked pretty freaking good. Uh, goes to show how great that's, the scheme they have that's just g- rolling right now. Um but, yeah, I mean, Russell's going to have to do it himself offensively. They don't really have any good... Like, they have weapons, but they don't really have any true established weapons. Tyler Lockett's a really good player. DK Metcalf is a is an exciting rookie, but they don't really have any, you know, certified guys. Like, they don't have a Devontae Adams or a Michael Thomas or a Stephon Diggs or an Adam Thielen. Like, they don't have those guys. So... They're limited from that aspect of it too, but it, what's important is if they can run the football, and that that will determine, I think, a lot of their success in the playoffs because they play defense. They they don't play the best defense because they don't have the best players. But they but Pete gets a lot out of those guys. I think Shaquille, Shaquille Griffin is one of their best players. On defense, he's a corner, and he really is asked to do a lot on that team, and he does a really nice job. It sucks that they really blew their first-round pick this last year on that like J.P. Collier guy from TCU, edge rusher. It turns out he's just not very good. So they're relying a lot on Jadeveon Clowney, who I think is also, dare I say, a little overrated physical freak. I mean, love the guy, but he hasn't exactly been... uh, you know, a Nick Boson is rookie year, right? Like, he, he's stout against the run. He's great against the pass rusher. He flashes, and when he's on, he's on. But he's not a dominant force every game like a Khalil Mack or a Von Miller. So, uh, from that standpoint, I think they're limited personnel wise. I think that's kind of their weakness. And obviously, their strength is running the football and Russell Wilson. And I think if they can do those two things, they got a shot against anybody. You move to the four seed. It's it's probably the worst team in the playoffs. The Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Philadelphia limps into the postseason. But here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing about Philly. With as as many injuries as they've had, with as bad as a football team as they've looked at times, they still have Carson Wentz, who's a top ten QB in my opinion, and they still have a really good Super Bowl winning coach in Doug Peterson that just gets the job done. And they're starting to run the ball a little bit better. I think they're starting to figure out how to play with the pieces they have. Trouble of it is, like, Ertz has, like, a kidney injury because he's just getting rocked every Sunday. It feels like he takes a giant hit. And they're just decimated with injuries. On the offensive line, in the secondary, at wide receiver, they're just trotting out Greg Ward, who was the quarterback at Houston two years ago. And they like, it, it is such a sad state of affairs for the Philly offense. And they've actually gotten a little bit healthier defensively but, I mean, they lost their, their one of their good guards, Brandon Brooks, on a, on a PAT. They lost Lane Johnson earlier this year. They've just been decimated. So I think that the strength of that team is obviously Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. They just have to shoulder it all. And if they're going to win the playoff game, that's how it's going to happen. By Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson just putting the team on their back and just slinging it and making plays. Because the defense isn't going to stop people from scoring. They're going to give up in the 20s for, for sure. Like, book it. Unless the offense they play just has a terrible game, they're giving up in the 20s. Because they just they don't have the personnel right now. I mean, all the guys are hurt uh, Jeffrey's on IR, Deshaun is done, like, I think Nelson Aguilar is hurt even, like, it's so bad right now in Philly that I think I give them even less of a chance to win than I would the Eagles at the Superdome, so, uh, I mean, again, you you gotta watch out for them, they're Super Bowl champs, they have Super Bowl blood, and just because they've had the bad record, history will tell you that those teams, just because they have the bad record, doesn't mean they're not gonna compete, uh, so they definitely have a chance. They're hosting a playoff game, too. That's the other thing. A- at the Link, Lincoln Financial Field. So that place is going to be absolutely insane. You know the Philly fans. So I think that's what gives them a chance. But on paper, they're not a very good football team. You move to, we'll skip the Saints at number three. You go to the Packers at number two. I'll keep it brief because I know we talk about my Packers a lot on here. The defense has played awesome last, last month of the season. And it's been an up-and-down defense, but... Mike Pettin is one of the best defensive guys in football. I'd say top top five, top ten defensive mind for sure. And his defense has gotten it together when it's mattered. And they have one of the best pass rushers of the year on their team. Zedarius Smith has 90-plus quarterback pressures this year. Guess who else has 90-plus pressures this year? Nobody. Zedarius Smith. That's the list. He has been exceptional for the Green Bay Packers, and they're not where they are now, if it's not for Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, some of the guys they've gone, gone out and gotten, free agency Adrian Amos, to, to complete that defense. It's year two of Pettin's scheme, so the younger guys are coming along. He's got Kevin King playing really well. Jair Alexander's a stud. And I think they're weak in the linebacking core. And outside of Kenny Clark, they're really kind of weak against the run. I think that's where they can be had a little bit. You can run the ball for, like, six yards a pop on them at times, and that's, that is scary. And then also at times it feels like if they don't get pressure, the secondary is just not going to hold up. So... That's their trouble defensively, and then offensively, they have two really good weapons in Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, but Aaron Rodgers has not been the Aaron Rodgers that you know and love. He has been half that. I mean, he's still a, still a really good player, but he wasn't a pro bowler this year, and I think he'd be the first to honestly tell you that, but I think it's also been a year of transition for him, too, to where I think you had to expect some of that. Because he's learning a completely different offense. Like, for example, I've never seen Aaron Rodgers run an RPO before this year. And so, like, naturally, like, there's going to be s- some some tension and some stuff that just looks ugly. And they have looked ugly for, like, stretches of whole quarters or halves at times. And so, if they do that in the playoffs, it's going to be tough. But they got a self-scout this week they've they I think are Aaron Rodgers was pretty vocal. I mean he's he was pretty stinky in that Lions game, almost cost him a home field bye. And I think he's like pretty realistic about it. He he took I mean he's a responsible guy for as much as people want to make him out to be a douche. He 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 knows he didn't play very well. He knew he over he's overshooting Lazard and Aaron Jones by like ten yards on every throw But he made throws when it mattered. He got it done, which is what Hall of Fame quarterbacks do. They won the game. They have the two seed. And he said, this will be a good scout week for us to find out concepts that we have run that have worked and concepts that we have run that we have not. Because clearly, there's been some stuff that LaFleur's run that Rodgers just either, for whatever reason, doesn't feel comfortable with or doesn't like. And they got to scrap that for the playoffs. You got to do what what you are most comfortable with. And I think a lot of these play-action bombs that they were hitting in the beginning of the season, they're not hitting those anymore. And they've completely abandoned the rhythm passing game, the quick passing game, and they have to do that if they want to win the NFC. So uh, I think that the strength of the Packers is really been their pass rush with Sedarius Smith. And then offensively, they really do have weapons. They're a very balanced team. I think that really there, again, is their strength. And that's why they're, they won 13 games this year, because they're so balanced both offensively and defensively. But neither of those sides of the ball have been one of the best in football. And I think that's the concerning thing. The consistency uh, and really the, their ability on both sides of the ball – uh, I guess is what I think limits them. But they're going to be playing at Lambeau. I mean, the Saints are obviously a better football team than Green Bay on a neutral field, I think. But they're not going to be playing on a neutral field. If the Saints win in the Packers, they're going to have to go play the Packers at Lambeau. So it's going to be a tough, tall, tall task. And that brings me to our final team, the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, the strength of their team is the zone run and George Kittle. Uh, Jimmy G is good, not great. I think he's still getting better in learning Kyle's offense. But if you can shut down their zone running game, I really think that they can be had. And you gotta take George Kittle out of the game. They are just really tough offensively because Debo Samuel's a freaking player now. Uh, they he, he's been getting much more involved in the offense second half of the year. They're, they'll run one jet sweep to him at least a game, book it. They have Emmanuel Sanders now on the outside, a legitimate wide-receiving threat finally to pair with George Kittle, and now Debo getting more involved in the offense. They have weapons in the passing game, not to mention they're very good at getting their backs involved in the passing game. Kyle check the fullback, is great. They have a great offensive line. Now they've struggled with injuries, and I think their injuries, although they're, they've gotten much more healthy now and their youth I think is what I would is what worries me about them and that's why I ultimately think that they could be one and done like if Seattle upsets Philly like I think most of us think they will and the Saints win then the Green Bay will play the Saints and Philly will go back to Santa Clara and play the 49ers for the third time this year I'd give the Seattle Seahawks a decent shot to win that game and make the 49ers one and done I just I really would y- you have to understand that the San Francisco 49ers have been dominated by Seattle. They were 3-13 before the Sunday night game. They're now 4-13. They've beaten the Seattle Seahawks four times this decade, which now I guess we're starting a new decade, but still. Like, it has been a one-sided affair. So, I don't think that that just goes away. And even in even in the game week 17, if they call that P.I., it's first down on the one, and Seattle's winning the game. And then what are we talking about? So, I think that the youth is, I think, the youth and inexperience, I think, is the weakness of the 49ers. But the strength of that team is just, they play, they they run the ball, they're pretty safe with the ball. Kyle's one of the best offensive coaches in football, and they play defense. They have a great pass rush. They have one of the best defensive lines in football. Probably best defensive line in the NFC, if we're being completely honest. They have Armstead. They have uh, Nick Bosa. And who's the other guy? Buckner out of Oregon as well, not to mention Solomon Thomas, not to mention Fred Warner is like a borderline first team all pro, has just come out of the woodwork. And they have that kid, the linebacker from uh, Arkansas playing well. And they got guys in the secondary, Quisky Tart and some of these other guys, Witherspoon. So uh, they're going to be a tough out for sure. But I just think that they're a, a flawed one seed. I really do. So that'll wrap it up for our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you Saturday in our video and then Sunday morning for our picks. Football, playoff football is here, baby. Couldn't be more hyped about it.